Good morning, everyone. Just when you thought it was safe, I'm back up here. And for those of you who are new, this is uh, uh, the fifth in a series of ten. We're doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and today's honor your father and mother. What does it mean to honor someone? Every time I think of the word honor, it reminds me of years ago, Brenda and I, with several other couples, did this marriage enhancement video series. And one of the sessions was about how to honor your spouse. And they said, one way you can honor your spouse is just act as if they take your breath away. <gasps> like when your husband comes home or your spouse comes home through the door, you say, <gasps> and it's kind of like the thought is that, you know, of all the people in the world to be married to, I'm married to you, <gasps> right? So imagine if your kids came home from school and they see you and they go, <gasps> you would probably want to take them to the doctor for, for a drug test, right? Or take them to the emergency room to get an MRI of their brain. Or you would probably do what most parents do and just look at them and say, all right, what did you do wrong, right? Right? That's how we work. All right, honor means different things to different people. Um, I sent out an uh, uh, email to many of you asking, what does it mean to honor your parent or dishonor your parent? Or as a parent, what does it mean to be honored or dishonored? So I'm going to pretend I'm, uh, who's that guy, Richard uh, Dawson on Family Feud. Survey says, obey. For, again, parents want their children to obey them, and kids thought it was a good idea to obey their parents as a way of showing honor. Another way was respect. Another way was listen. When I got feedback from people, I wasn't sure whether listen it was another way of saying obey or whether it just meant simply to listen carefully to what someone's saying, just to respect them by listening. Another one was, uh, and it was said in different ways, was kids thought it was good to represent their parents well by performing well in school. And also parents, some of the parents said about just making sure their kids behave well. And so representing the parents was a very important thing. Uh, this was an interesting one. Being included in someone's life. This one almost made me want to sign up on Facebook because somebody said that they felt very special when their children uh, friended them on Facebook. So being included in someone's life is a, is a way of honoring them. And someone also said about taking care of elderly parents as a way of demonstrating honor to them, especially in their old years and their health is in decline. So those are some of the things that I got from the congregation. So thank you for responding. I'm glad to know I'm not on your junk mail filter. So. But if you go to the dictionary, honor simply means to regard someone with great respect. And as you would suspect, some of the synonyms are to esteem someone, to respect them, to admire them. And it's interesting, I'm not a Hebrew expert, but the Hebrew is a very rich language. And, and one of the definitions or sub-definitions of honor was that a term can also mean something heavy or weighty. And I think what they're getting at is that it means something very significant. So if you're honoring someone, there's something significant about them. And in this country, we tend to honor people who uh, have done great things or who have made great sacrifices, and we demonstrate honor by either by building statues of them or naming roads or bridges or buildings after them. And probably none of us are going to have buildings named after us. So how do we honor somebody in a practical, everyday basis? And I, the words of the Apostle Paul popped into mind. 
um, from Philippians where he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. I think that's probably just the simplest thing to keep in mind is when you look somebody else in the eye is think of them as higher than yourself. So in your bulletin, a little fill-in for definition is to honor someone is simply regarding others as more important than yourself. Honoring others, regarding others more important than yourself. So with this in mind, let me just take a step back and look at the the Ten Commandments in a whole, and look at the order that they're in. And the first three deal directly with God. One is to have no other gods before me. The second one is to have no graven images. The third one is not to take God's name in vain. So the first three are directing our focus and attention to God. And the fourth commandment is, with our focus and attention on God, it makes sense to set aside the Sabbath day as a day, as a holy day, to remember God, to commemorate God, to worship God. And then we get to the fifth commandment, it's honor your father and mother. And this is the first one of the remaining six that talks about our inner relationships with each other. And I think what it's saying is that if we don't learn how to honor and respect our parents, if we don't learn to honor and respect their authority at home, we're not going to be doing that very well outside of the home. So why is this important? Well, if you honor someone... You're not going to murder them. You're not going to hurt them by committing adultery. You're not going to steal from them. You're not going to lie to them or about them. You're not going to covet or be jealous of them. So honoring your parents is very foundational for society. If the family unit is dysfunctional, society is going to be also. So we can see that the the significant ramifications of this commandment definitely come outside of the family. So the first point is... Learning to honor your parents is key to living well with others. Honoring your parents is key to living well with others. The second point, and I'll explain this in a little bit, is um, the fifth commandment applies to parents as well as to children. The fifth commandment applies to parents and to children. So you think on a message like today, we'd have all the kids here today so they could listen. But this, this, this passage applies to, to everyone. If you look at the commandment, it says, honor your father and mother. And there's a promise. It says that your days may be prolonged on the land in which the Lord gives you. And if you read that real quickly, it almost sounds as if God's going to give you long life. But actually what it's talking about, it's a promise to the nation of Israel that if they are obedient to God, they will be remaining for a long time in the land that he was going to give them. In other words, if they obeyed God, he would bless them. If they disobeyed God, he would curse them, and he would bring eventually their enemies in, and he did this, that displaced them from the land, and they lost uh, their place in the promised land. So, for the Old Testament believers, living and flourishing in the promised land was contingent upon obeying God's commandments. And the parents were to play a very, very important part in that. And let me read you this verse from Deuteronomy that kind of sums that up for you. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 11, and it says, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up 
And when you write, you shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. When you read that, that is an amazing statement about having God's word and God's ways continuously before you. It's not like, all right, we come to church on Sunday, we hear a message, we go home, or maybe you pick up your Bible once or twice during the week. This was a lifestyle of learning and exposing yourself, exposing your children to God's word. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian parent and you expect the children, you expect the church to be teaching your children God's truth, that's not the way God intended it to be. You are to have an active role in how to teach your children to follow God. And parents, you have the authority to do that. And as parents, I hope you realize you have a huge influence on how your children understand who God is and how they relate to him. You have a huge influence. But sometimes parents go too far and they put too much emphasis on their children and make them the center of their lives. And sometimes parents don't see that they do that. But when they do that, you're actually violating the first commandment because you're putting your children before God. And sometimes parents do that by either giving their child everything they want and spoil them and make it, and make it difficult for them to deal with the realities of life later on, where sometimes parents are very harsh with their children. They demand perfection out of them, from them in academics, and athletics, and music, and the parents can become a very strong taskmaster and burden the children. And Paul gives us a warning, and this is in the Amplified Version, I think it says it very well. It says, fathers or mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, which means do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them, but bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I'm sure that as parents, or we can think back to the times that our parents have made a mistake. Um, unfortunately, we can't go back and do that. And I'm sure as a parent, and I'm not one, but I'm sure that those of you who are can probably think of some times you wish you could hit the reverse button and go back and do things over again and maybe do things better. Um, the problem is, or the point is, that parents are people too. And I know this is definitely worth getting out of bed in the morning to come to church, but parents are not perfect. Sometimes it helps to state the obvious, right? Children don't come with an instruction manual, right? Those of you who are parents. And then what makes matters worse is that once you get the first kid figured out, the second kid's different than the first kid. And then on top of all that is you have two adults that have two different styles of parenting. And you don't realize that until you're a parent. Because each one of us has in our own idea how to parent based upon what we learned and what we saw in our own homes growing up. So it can be very, very complicated to be raising children and to be a good parent. And I thought uh, I came across this. It's called the Heidelberg Catechism, and it helps explain what it means to honor one's parents as well as to recognize the limitations. 
And there's a question in this catechism that says, what does God require in the fifth commandment? And it says that I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience. And I like this. This is very important. And also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. I think that's the first time I've actually seen anybody recognize the fact that parents have their limitations. Overall, as flawed as people are and as flawed as our parents are, they really want what is best for their kids. And striving to do that is a very honorable endeavor. And parents should be honored by their children as they try to do that. But sometimes what is best means something different for the parent than it means for the kid. I think this happens more often than we realize. I saw it in my own family as my brother and my father went head-to-head many times, and uh, it didn't end very well. Uh, We kind of had a different version of the golden rule in our family. You've heard of the golden rule, you know, uh, do unto others, have them do unto you. Well, the golden rule in our family was he who has the gold makes the rules. And um, so my brother lost, my dad would win, and it just created a lot of resentment. But anyway, parents assume that they know what's best, because they're older and they have life experience to validate what they've seen and what they've experienced. Youth, on the other hand, they have a lot, it seems like a limitless amount of energy and passion, and they're willing to do whatever they, whatever needs to be done to get whatever they're trying to get to. And you get two worlds and they collide, and it's not very pleasant. And we sort of see this in the life of Mary and Joseph. Uh, They had dreams for Jesus that may not have been entirely in line with God's plans. Now, you thought you had trouble raising your children. Imagine imagine Mary and Joseph trying to raise Jesus. That would have been quite a a task or quite a challenge. But you remember the scene when Jesus was about 12 years old and they went uh, to Jerusalem? And after they left, it took uh, Mary and Joseph about three days to realize Jesus wasn't with them. So imagine finding out that your kid's been missing for three days, all right? So once your heart finally restarts, you know, like they did, then they went back to Jerusalem and they found him in the temple. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. That's probably an understatement. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had said to them. Occasionally when I read the Bible and I come across different things, certain statements seem kind of odd to me. And this one seemed it was odd that, you know, why didn't Mary and Joseph understand what was going on? And probably, like many of us, we have selective hearing or selective memory. Maybe they were thinking of the Magi, who said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, if somebody told you your, king, your kid was going to be a king, you would remember that. And you'd probably be less likely to remember when the angel said, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And that's, I'm not sure Mary and Joseph would have really understood that. They probably understood that a kid being a king, that's a clear concept. But the sin thing, I'm not sure they understood that. Or maybe they also heard one of the other accounts where they remembered this, where it says, he will be great. 
and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Again, they're being reminded and reinforced that Jesus is going to be king. And, but they neglected to hear what Simeon said at the temple after Jesus was dedicated, and he said to Mary, and a sword will pierce even your own soul. So Mary and Joseph probably, like all of us, would like to see your kids be a king, which was part of God's plan, but wasn't entirely God's plan. Now Jesus understood what his plan was and what his mission was, but Jesus somehow, um, being God in flesh, he honored his parents. It says at the end of that account in Luke chapter 2 that he continued in subjection to them. So he was honoring his parents. And even from the cross, he was trying to make sure that he was taking care of his mother when he said to her, woman, behold your son. And he's talking to John the, uh, about John, the, um, his disciple. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. So Jesus was honoring his mother uh, by taking care of her. But you can see the little conflict between Jesus and, his, and Mary and Joseph. As a parent, you've probably, and eventually I'm going to come back to honoring, so just bear with me here for a second. As a parent, you've probably seen this verse. And it's train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And through the centuries, parents have made or taken courage or encouragement from this verse to stay with the task, the difficult task of parenting and trying to keep their kid on the right track. And again, the question comes up, what is that track? Whose way is it that they're exactly talking about? Is it the kid's way? Is it the parent's way? Is it God's way? A few years ago, I happened to catch Chuck Swindoll. Uh, if you know him, he's a very well-known evangelical speaker. He was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And he was commenting on this verse, and this is probably a, uh, one of the different things stick in your mind, but this one stuck in my mind. So what I'm going to do is, so if you can bear with me, I'm going to read the article. And it explains this passage, uh, and I think it's very helpful for parents. So I will try to click, I'm going to try to put up some key words as I talk through this, so hopefully I can talk and click at the same time and be in sync. To train up a child, the Hebrew word hanak means to dedicate or to concentrate. In several Semitic languages, it stems from a term related to the roof or lower part of the mouth. An Arabic verb, a close cousin to Hanak pictures the custom of a midwife dipping her finger into a pool of crushed dates in order to massage the palate and gums of the newborn. This encouraged the baby's sucking instinct so that nursing could begin as soon as possible. In other words, she stimulated the baby's gums in order to encourage the kind of behavior that would benefit the child. She wisely used the baby's natural instincts to guide him towards what is best. The best parental training is accomplished when we opt for inspiration instead of cohesion. We do this by discovering the child's natural desires and unique abilities and by encouraging the behavior that will allow him or her to develop accordingly. Now this is not to say that we merely allow children to do as they please or that we should avoid correction. 
A term similar to hanak is close, in a closely related language, relates to the training of a horse. This image pictures a horse's bridle, which subdues the horse for the purpose of directing its natural energies without breaking its spirit. Notice, however, that the bridle is not a yoke. Only a novice puts a rope in a horse's mouth to dominate it. Experienced riders know that the horse's bit is a point of contact in a relationship with the animal. Horses want to run because God gave them a desire to fulfill their created purpose. A wise, caring rider uses the bit and the reins to help the horse achieve its purpose safely and effectively. The term hanuk mingles the ideas of dedicate, mouth, and make submissive. Now, in regards to the way in which he should go, this is probably the most debated phrase of the proverb. The Hebrew is quite simply in accordance with his way. The key Hebrew word in the phrase is derek or way, and it can refer to a literal way such as a road, or it can be less literal and refer to the manner in which something acts or its characteristics. We are to train a child according to his or her characteristic manner. Some will be artistic, others athletic, and still others academic. One may be strong-willed and the other compliant. One child can be encouraged by rewards or recognition, while the other could care less. Look at the rich imagery and wisdom packed into a single proverb. Training up calls for a relationship in which children, which parent and child dedicate themselves to a shared purpose with all the privileges and responsibilities that go along with it. The parent finds ways uh, to encourage uh, behavior that makes everyone happy and satisfies the child's deepest needs. It involves guiding a wild spirit in order to give it purpose and direction. We receive each child from the hand of God, not as a lump of clay to be molded in whatever way we see fit, but as a unique, distinctive person with a destiny. We are to honor God's creation of this one-of-a-kind individual by adapting our training to his or her characteristic manner. To fight it is to fight God's creation. Instead, study your children by developing an intimate relationship with each one. Help each child discover his or her road, the path he or she was created to follow. Then ask God to help you make the most of your child's natural tendency so that he or she can live in harmony with God's destiny. And when maturity comes, his or her success will be a legacy that you can enjoy together. Thank you for bearing with me. I know this may sound kind of odd, but so what's parenting? What's this got to do with honoring your parents? Well, if parents fulfill their mission and take their authority seriously and they raise their child and they take into account the unique creature that they've been given, to help that child creates God's purpose, all right? they're going to be accomplishing a great thing. And that's what, that's what honor is all about, was when people accomplish great things. By building a strong family unit, 
the Israelites, now we've got to go back to Exodus 20, the Israelites were coming out of Egypt. God was forming a brand new nation. By building a strong family unit, the Israelites were going to be building a strong nation. The nation of Israel was meant to be an example to the surrounding nations about how to live. Israel, by obeying God, was essentially establishing God's kingdom on earth. And it's the same thing for us. We are living examples of what God can do in our lives. By honoring our parents and being honorable parents, we are advancing God's kingdom. It all starts with the family unit and it spreads from there. So point four on your outline is honoring your parents is important to expanding God's kingdom. Honoring your parents is important to expanding God's kingdom. As I come to a close, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't at least somewhat address this. Um, even with a small congregation, I'm sure that there are some of you who have been abused by your parents. And I'll be quite honest, I don't know how this commandment fits into that that's out of my leg. But I'm sure that you've suffered emotional, physical, verbal, maybe even sexual abuse. And whenever I mention the word father or refer to God as our father, it must bring back terrible memories for you. And it probably actually builds a barrier between you and God. And as I said earlier, parents have such an important role to play in demonstrating God to their children. And if you had an abusive parent, you're at an extreme disadvantage. You probably feel distance from God. But God does not want us to be withdrawn from him. He does not want us to be distant. He wants us to be near to him. And the best example of God as our father is probably the parable of the prodigal son. And as you know that, or maybe you don't know that, it's a wayward son. A father had two sons, and one said to the father, give me my portion of the inheritance. His father gave it to him, and he left. He disrespected his father, disrespected his family, and went off, and he wasted and squandered all of that inheritance. And in a lot of ways, that's a picture of humanity. We've all rebelled against God. We've been given so much, and then we've just wasted it. We've, we've rebelled. We've, we've run away from home. But in the parable, the father appears to be continuously looking for his son to return. And when he does, he welcomes him with open arms. No questions, just pours out his love and forgiveness. And we, like the prodigal son, we don't deserve God's love and forgiveness. But God is gracious and kind. He wants us to be a part of his family. And one way to honor someone is to entrust something very valuable to them. And we can honor God by entrusting our lives to him. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've walked 10,000 miles away from God for whatever reason. I always hate when I get choked up. You may be 10,000 miles away from God, but it's only one step back.
And if you've never trusted Jesus, won't you honor him by trusting him fully that his sacrificial death paid for your sins? You can honor him greatly by trusting him. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that you are trustworthy.